Nobody can quite do it like Dan does it, so I won't even bother to try, but good morning. Good to be here today. When I was asked to speak this morning in preparation for it, I heard these words come to my mind, and it was simply, count the cost. And I was quite taken by that. I thought, count the cost. It's not like it's a passage of scripture I've spoken on before or anything like that, but it did capture my mind, and I felt that that's God's heart for us this morning, so I want to share with you today on counting the cost. See, there's a personal cost involved when we go to do something like this. I have to prepare my own heart. I have to hear, receive, listen, discern, study, to research, to organize, and to put it together in hopefully a way that makes sense to you and honors the heart of God and what he wants to say to us today. Counting the cost. I remember when I first started to go to the gym, which is a thing of the past these days. I had been drinking a can of Coke and uh, the night before, and I got on the treadmill, and I saw that it took me 20 minutes to burn off one can of Coke on that treadmill, covered in sweat, for something that I guzzled down in three minutes. I counted the cost and decided back then that Coke was really not worth drinking and switched to some of those more bubbly drinks without the sugar. Counting the costs, there's other ways that we obviously count costs. We would say that we budget or that we would say that we, um, we may start by counting uh, how much we're going to spend for Christmas or how much we're going to spend when we go shopping. But it's so easy to get distracted. In fact, uh, when we had our store, many people would come and they'd buy stuff for themselves, quite frankly, as often as they bought gifts for other people. And it's so easy today, like everything's online or we can get it online. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we can get what we want. Just We don't even see the pain of money leaving our hands. It just goes. And so we can just have it done, deliver it to our door out where I live. The guy comes up our driveway, a little bit afraid when there's snow and he's afraid to turn around because the driveway's a bit long. But he still comes and I get my deliveries. And one day in the peak of COVID, my wife wanted M&Ms and we had M&Ms delivered to our door. Painless, free delivery. What can I say? And they had them. So today, though, we as a society are spending, and we're really not counting the cost in most of what we're doing. And, and even, you know, we hear the government spending all this money, but where are they getting it from to cover the COVID costs? I just read a statistic just of March this year. I'm not going to bore you with a lot of statistics, but this one just kind of captures a picture of where we are at as a society, at least I believe it's a good picture. It says today that we have spent or spend $1.75 out of every dollar we earn. So we spend $1.75 and we make a dollar. Now you figure that math out. That doesn't take much counting to figure out that something's really wrong and that we can't go on that way forever, can we? Count the cost. Well, as I began to think of some of those examples and I began to just ponder on the words of Jesus, it led me to the passage in Luke 14 where Jesus talks about counting the cost. And so let's read these verses together. I'm just going to turn the page here and, and read with me. Chosen the ESV in Luke 14, 25 to 33 says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, Now this is just what you want. You know, if you're just the American election has just taken place, you know, those great crowds speeches and all this. This is not really what you'd say if you want people to follow you. But Jesus was really saying, you got to count the cost. And he says, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Wow. For whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him <laughs> and say, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to another king in war, will not sit down first and will deliberate whether he has enough to be able to, with his 10,000, to meet with one who comes against him with the 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, the king sends a delegation and asks, terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty hefty cost, isn't it? When I was reading that passage in verse 26, I was quite captured by the idea of hating father, mother, brother, sister. And yet for some, it would seem like they actually have to hate their family in order to follow Christ. They have to leave what has been very strong in their family roots. Um, they have to leave that to follow Christ. He talks about leaving a spouse or, or hating a spouse, or it could be a girlfriend or a boyfriend that we, we have to hate in the sense of what God is really saying is do not love any other man or any other woman greater than you love me, including yourself. Do not love yourself more than you love me. Wow. That's a cost. I don't know if you and I really consider that. But that's what he's saying here. Count the cost. Love him more than anyone else, including ourselves. Verse 28, he uses the example of if you go to build something, you want to make sure you have enough money to be able to finish it. If you don't, you won't be able to finish it. You may have a foundation. I've been to some countries where you see half-started buildings all over the place and they just ran out of money and they're just half-started. Very strange. They didn't count the cost. Or verse 31, you don't go to war uh, and stand up against a foe if you don't think you can possibly win the war. So verse 33 goes on and says, but we must be willing to renounce, to be willing to give up everything in order to be his disciple. Count the cost. What cost? We have today in our society, we're spending $1.75 for every dollar we make. We're, we're acquiring so much what we don't need. We have stuff everywhere, and we still go out and buy more stuff. And here's Jesus saying, in the contrast to that, you must be willing to give it all away. Everything. Give it all away. Be willing to give it all in order to follow me. Over this past month or so, Pastor Dan has been speaking and leading us through the book of Joshua. So I was following some of those messages. And I loved what I was hearing and reading about with Joshua. To me, Joshua exemplifies a man who has given up everything to follow God. He's obedient, willing to give it all up. Willing to do whatever God asks. Willing to get up and lead the people from the past, from the wilderness, into a new and promised land. People had to leave the past behind. They had to follow God as he led them through a flooded Jordan. 
they followed the presence of God into a land. And all they really could see was the presence of God leading them. All around them, flooded waterways, no way of getting across. The presence of God provided a way for them to cross into this new land. And into a new land that was filled with promise and with hope, and yet still had an enemy within it. Joshua was commanded by God, which Dallas Willard says, man, this is worth the greater than any education you get at a college. Joshua was commanded to have the book of the law, the word of God. He was um, commanded to let it not depart from his mouth, but rather he was to meditate upon it day and night. That seems like a great contrast to some of us who will say such terms as we did our devotions or we read our Bible this morning. This is talking about having the word of God never departing from my mouth. Knowing it so well, it never departs from my mouth. Day and night, I meditate on the word of God. Why? So he would be careful to do all that was written in it. He knew it, he obeyed it, and was to do everything written in it. To do all that God would be asking him to do. To rely fully upon God and not himself. Not to go against an enemy that he had a plan against, but to wait on God and hear what do you want us to do? And to follow the presence of God wherever the presence of God would be leading them. Then he and the people of Israel, this is the promise of that verse, would be prosperous in all their ways and have good success. Joshua is an excellent example of what Jesus is saying later on in the New Testament of someone who is willing to give up everything to follow God. Count the cost. There's two worlds. There's the old way. The children of Israel lived in the old way. They first were in slavery. They came out of slavery, but then they were in a wilderness. And the wilderness was just kind of a circle, a cycle. They were really going nowhere very slowly. I mean, eventually they made their way, but it was a very non-prosperous way. A time of grumbling and complaining. And it, was, um, it was a hard way. It was, it was their way of they were rebelling in many ways. It was circles of confusion. and um, So there's the old way. The old way could also be referred to as the flesh. And some of my notes from Church Renewal, if those of you that are involved in that, they defined the flesh like this, and I thought it was excellent to repeat. It's serving ourselves. Flesh is when we serve our own self-centeredness. We need to preserve ourselves. I'm not willing to risk. I'm not willing to do anything. I'm holding on to me and holding me tight. Me first. It's my desiring to be my own God. There's no authority but me. I'm the absolute authority. I may or may not choose to follow what you have to say. I trust in no one but me. But see, the problem and the reason why Jesus addresses this so clearly the problem with that way of life is that the foundation of it is actually fear. Anybody who lives the life of flesh, anybody who lives their life this way, is really living out of a foundation of fear. Everything they do is measured by fear. And it causes us, when we live out of fear, to hold tight to everything, to never risk, to never live adventure, to never follow what God is asking us to do because we don't control it. we miss it. 
and we live in that wilderness, going around and around, really going nowhere, because we want to be in control. Jesus contrasts that so beautifully in this passage in Luke, where he calls us out to live our lives by spirit. And to live our lives by spirit means not living in the flesh. There can't be both. And he's very clear on that. You got to hate one and love the other, or love one and hate the other. But you can't do both. So he calls our, us to live our lives in the spirit, but not in the foundation of fear, but in the foundation of love. Isn't that fabulous? Foundation of love. Out of the abundance of this love, the love of God for me and my love consumed by his love so that I love him first and foremost over all, out of the abundance of this love, you and I are then able to give away all that we are and have and what others would seem to think is really precious really is so insignificant in the light of his love and what he has given to us in his own life for us. When we walk in that love, it becomes very easy to give away whatever we have because the greater good is following him. We don't give it away because we have to. We don't give it away because of some beating ourselves up and because we're trying to make ourselves right. Whatever he asks us to give up, we willingly give up. And I have personally seen God ask me to give stuff up and then give it right back to me. I have a home around me here. And it was surrendered to this to the Lord many, many times. We're still here. But it's really not mine. It's really not Linda's and mine. It's God's. And at any time, Last week, I was listening to the message, listening to my son David lead worship and could hardly hear the guitar and could hear his voice and think, what is this guy doing with this? But he led us in a hymn and he referred to it. And it's one that, you know, I've sung at baptisms and sung kind of like, you know, not really paying attention to it. And it was, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I was challenged as he challenged us. I was challenged by the author and who wrote it and what context they were writing this in. So I went and looked online to find out the story behind it. I want to take a few minutes to read you the story, so just bear with me. It's worthwhile. I'll, I'll skip a little bit of it because if some of the kids are listening to this, it's pretty hard to listen to. But the Christian hymn originated from India. Its lyrics are based on the last words of a man in Garal. Sam, India. It was about 150 years ago, there's a great revival in Wales, so it's likely even more than that now. As a result of this, many missionaries came from the northeast, uh, came to the northeast of India to spread the gospel. The region was known as Assam and comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. In these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist missions spreading the message of love and peace and hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcome. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept 
this message of faith, this Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce her faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man instantly composed a song which became famous down through the years. And he sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of this man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down on the two children as both boys lay dying. The chief asks, Will you deny your You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man sang these words in reply. Wow. Though none joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and he ordered his wife to then be arrowed down and in a moment she joined to church her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time to this man, "Will I will give you one more opportunity for you to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, the man sang the final memorable lines, the cross before me the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. He was killed like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle actually took place, and the chief who ordered the killings was moved by faith of the man. He wondered, why should this man, his wife and two children, die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago. There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith, and I too want to taste that faith. In spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their savior. And the song is based on the last words of Nask Singh, a man from Garo tribe of Assam, part of India. And it's a song the Garo people still sing today. What a cost. What a cost. The cross, love before me. The world, my selfishness behind me. Love of God before me. I can live in the past in fear holding on to all that I think is precious, or I can lavishly give it away to whatever he asks of me because of his love so poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he set us free. What love, what a message. We can choose to live this life in the spirit, in the foundation of love. We can give it all away out of love for him. Flesh leads to death. Life in the spirit leads to life. And we get to count the cost. Choose life. Choose love. 
Choose freedom. No matter what the cost. It's totally worth it. There's a verse in Romans to summarize it, and it says, He who believes in me, and he who believes in Jesus, will never be disappointed. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the cross that enables us to be transformed from who we were into who we are and meant to be in you. From living our self-centeredness into living into the fullness of your spirit. Lord, thank you that this is possible to us as we come to you through what you've done for us at the cross and receive your forgiveness, receive your healing, receive your new life as we repent and receive what you've given us. You transform us from flesh, from death, into life, into spirit. Thank you for these words, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that by your spirit they will count the cost and choose you no matter what. Bless us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Lord.